Good afternoon, Twelvers. Welcome, everybody, to, uh, to Every Nation Rosebank. This is the 12 o'clock service. Uh, my name is Lireko, and I'm uh, one of the pastors uh, that serve in this, uh, in this church. And I, uh, my wife and I have the privilege of, of leading the team that, uh, that ministers in this service specifically. So uh, it's always a pleasure and a privilege for me to stand before you. Uh, and, uh, and, and just uh, it, I was reflecting as we were in worship that... Uh, you know, there's such power in us coming together in community. Just you bring your faith, I bring my faith. And there's just something special that God does in that space um, that I don't quite experience when I'm, when I'm by myself with him. I have a, a sweet spot uh, of a place of intimacy when it's just me and Jesus. But man, there's a, there's a different level of power and anointing that comes when we gather together. Um, I guess that's why the Bible says we should not forsake the gathering of the saints. Amen. I, uh, I, I have the privilege of, of being able to stand, to stand on the stage and to, and to minister and to look out. And one of the things that, um, uh, that you maybe don't get to appreciate or don't get to see is just the, the beauty of, of the diversity that God is adding um, to, to this community. And, uh, and all of you have a uniqueness about you. All of you have a gift that you bring. All of you bring a different perspective. And, and we don't look alike. Uh, you look around and people don't look like you. Um, there's, some, there's some blues and there's some reds. <laughs> uh, and that's amazing. And that's amazing because, um, uh, one, we start to reflect a picture of what heaven looks like. Heaven is every tribe, every culture, every nation, people who speak different languages, people who, who look different, people um, who think different, coming together under one banner um, of the Lordship of, of Jesus Christ. And so this for us is, is a practice run into, into what heaven looks like. Um, but also just because we get to be that much richer. Uh, we get to be that much richer when we're living in diversity. What does that this have to do with the message? Absolutely nothing. Um, but it has everything to do with the kingdom. Um, so, so it's good for us to celebrate uh, when God makes something beautiful out of our diversity. Amen. Amen. We, we are, um, we're landing our Facing the Giants series, uh, and I hope that it's been a blessing to you. It's been so challenging to me. Even as we were preparing this series, we were really excited. And the reason that we're really excited is that this is one of those things that no one can hide from. This is one of those series that you can't kind of zone in, zone out, decide, you know, pick and choose. Sometimes you can. But this is one of those that really hits at the heart and causes you to go back and do some, some, some soul searching and to allow God in to do some heart surgery. And so, and so we started uh, by looking at the, 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 the Israelites who, who, who are entering into the promised land. And the scripture in Deuteronomy says, when you enter in, there'll be a whole lot of tribes in that space. And, and God says, I want you to wipe them out. Because if you do so, it will be well with you. But if you don't do so, you will be leaving for yourself a snare in the land of promise. You'll be leaving for yourself a trap. Um, and so we, 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 we're talking about this concept of facing our giants uh, in the promised land. And, uh, you know, I was reflecting that one of the lies that we have come to believe in the Christian community is that 
a signal or an indicator of us having entered into the promise or us having entered into God's pleasure is that there's peace. When there's peace, I've entered in. But what we see from Scripture is God saying, enter in and there will be war. And you will have giants that you need to take down. So some of you are in a space of taking down giants in spaces of difficulty and have fallen back because you have believed that that is an indicator that you are not in God's perfect will. But God is calling you to face those specific giants and to take them down because if you do so, you are creating the environment of peace that God has called you to. And so we started the series by looking at the giant of look good. Pastor Simon took us through that, and, and, and we, can, we can go on to that next slide. We, we, we did look good. We did the giant of, of, uh, of feel good. Um, and we, uh, and we, uh, we looked at, uh, at the story of Samson and, and, and uh, the lessons that we derived from there. Uh, last week, we did the giant of be right. Uh, and, uh, and just that, that, that need that we, we have to kind of, that one-upmanship, uh, need to have the last word, need to uh, have a certain perception among, amongst community, etc. Uh, and today, we get to look at the giant of be in control. See, every giant that we've discussed so far, if we don't address it, has the potential to derail us from our purposes in God. It has the purpose to steal away from us our anointing. If you think of the story that we, that, that, that we talked about of Samson and how his life worked out, every, every one of these giants has the potential to knock us off from the purposes of God and to, and to steal from our anointing. Be in control is a giant that not only has the potential to knock us off from purpose, but has the potential to steal from our intimacy. Steal from intimacy of relationships. Relationships that we have with people that God has called us to interact with, but also the level of intimacy that we can have with God. This be-in-control giant is important for us to take down if we are going to experience intimacy of relationship. Let me put it to you this way. The level of intimacy that we will experience in any relationship is always going to be capped by the extent to which we are willing to relinquish control. Let me say that again. The, the level of intimacy that we are going to experience in any relationship is always going to be capped by the extent to which we are willing to relinquish control. This is the basis of the entire message that we're going to build um, today. And, uh, and we're going to look at the story of Jonah but before, before we go into, into the story of Jonah, I want us to keep looking at this issue of control. So we all have a measure of wanting to leverage control over one another. 
All of us do it. All of us do it, and it is based out of fear. It is a, it is a control measure that we put in when we are feeling desperate and when we're feeling fearful. When we, when we feel like the boat is rocking, when we feel like the ground is shifting, we want to put in a measure of control. And so we do it in our circumstances, but we also do it in our relationships, all manner of relationship. So, so with, with, our, with our close people, we use, the, we use the tool of manipulation to try and get a certain type of behavior out of the person that we're relating with. Withdrawal is a, an example of, tr- of using this tool to try and leverage some level of control. I don't like the way that you're behaving. I'm going to manage your behavior by withholding something, withholding emotional presence. We use anger in the same way. And we try and teach people that there's a certain way that they need to be with us. There are certain words that they need to use. There are certain behaviors that are acceptable and not acceptable. And if they cross over, we blow up. And if we do it enough times, with, with enough in, in intensity, we create fear in the people around us. And so therefore, we're able to control them a little bit better. Sometimes we use position. So it's awesome for us to progress in our workplaces and to have certain titles and to study and to progress in academia. But we, we tend to use that also to leverage some, some kind of control over people. Because that gives us weapons of punishment now. You, you will do this. You will act this way. And if you don't, there will be consequences. Another one that we might think of is that of dis- managing the distance. Managing the distance between us and people. Managing the distance between us and God. Because you see, if I, if I can manage the distance... And, and I, I have a certain level of, of mistrust towards you. So what do I do? So I, I put a level of distance between you and I so that I'm just, I'm close enough for us to relate, but just, just far enough so that you can't actually hurt me. And we do that with God, don't we? We have a certain level of mistrust towards God, and so we manage the distance. Close enough because I need you, but far enough that you can't fully control me. Because who knows what will happen if you can control me? Who who knows what will happen if I fully surrender to you? Because I've heard some weird stories, and I don't want to be part of that. And I'm afraid that if I allow you, Jesus, to fully reign in my heart, you will cause me to lay down things that I love and to go into situations that are uncomfortable. You'll cause me to lose my reputation. You're going to ruin my life. I'm speaking on behalf of somebody this afternoon. Jesus, I don't really want to let you in because if I do, you're going to ruin my life. We may not put it that way exactly, but saints, that's exactly what it is. And so we find our friend Jonah. And uh, I want to I grab 
specific areas throughout this journey of, of, of Jonah and, and throughout the book of Jonah. So we're not going to read the entire book. I was tempted to make us do so. What I'll do is I'll, I'll just give you a, a, a brief rundown. So you, some of you may be familiar with the, with, with the story of Jonah. You may, have, you may have read it or you may have come across it at, uh, at, at, at Sunday school or in some other uh, context. What I'm going to encourage you to do is I'm going to give you a very brief rundown. The book of Jonah is a very short book, uh, four chapters long. I want you to make a commitment to me that this afternoon you're going to go and you're going to read the book of Jonah. won't take you more than half an hour, I promise you. And it, it will help to fill in some of the gaps that I just won't have the time to fill in. Is that okay? So we, we have Jonah, who is a prophet in the nation of Israel. And God says to Jonah, I want you to go and to prophesy over a particular nation, uh, or over a particular city uh, in Nineveh. Jonah doesn't think this is a good idea. So he plans to run away from God, and so he, he runs and he, he boards a ship that's going to Tarshish, and, 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 uh, and so he buys a ticket, and he, he's, he's on board, and, and he's running away successfully from God until God causes a tempest to arise, and the boat starts to rock, and everybody is in panic mode, and they draw lots, and they say, who, 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 whose fault is it that we are in this situation? Eventually, Jonah fesses up and he says, it's, it's me. I, I know why we're in this situation because, because I'm running away from, from, from God. They say, well, what, what do we need to do so that God will spare us? Says, okay, well, you gotta, what you've got to do is you've got to take me and, and you kind of have to... Th- <laughs> what, Jonah? No, well... Um, you, you have to, we're going to, let's pray. Let's pray. They do that. And then they start and they pray and they pray and they pray. And it doesn't work. So, so they come back to Jonah. Jonah says, okay, guys, here's what you've got to do. Um, what you've got to do is we've got to, in, in order to be, we got to, let's throw out all the cargo. We'll throw out all the cargo in the ship. We'll, we'll, we'll lighten the load. This is going to work. This is going to work. And they do it and it doesn't work. It's okay, guys. Is what you've got to do is you've got to take me and you've got to throw me overboard. And, and, and God will spare you. They think, okay, if, I, if that's what it's, brother, if it, your word's not ours. You know? <laughs> so, so they chuck him in the ocean. It's in the Bible. <laughs> they chuck him in the ocean. And, and, and the Bible tells us that, that God had prepared a large fish or a whale and, and it swallowed him up. And, and he was in the belly of, of, of this whale uh, for, for, for three days. And, uh, and what Jonah had anticipated is that when they throw him overboard, that's the end. He's going to die. He realizes, hang on, I'm still alive. Now, I don't know whether he realized I'm alive, I'm, in, I'm inside of a, of a fish. Or, you know, I'm, but he starts to pray. And he, he, he starts to declare uh, the, the, the praises of God. He starts to repent. And, uh, and, and, and after three days, God is hearing the words uh, and the prayer of Jonah, and he speaks to the fish, and the fish throws, you know, it, 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 uh, it throws him up onto, onto dry land. And so Jonah uh, finds himself in the vicinity of Nineveh, where he was supposed to go in the first place. And, uh, and uh, so God tells him again, Jonah, this is what I want you to do. And so Jonah goes and he prophesies in the city. 
because if I've been three days in, in a fish, if God says, God, I'm, that's what I'm, yes, Lord, you know, <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've established some things, I get it now, you know, and he goes and he prophesies, um, and, and, uh, and we'll pick up some of the rest of the story, how, how, how the book lands it, but um, if we can just go to that uh, initial scripture, that's kind of where I want us to, uh, to anchor, so that's in the that's, uh, book of Jonah, so Jonah chapter 1. Uh, and if you're following your Bibles, it's Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, uh, but the, the slide will also will follow on there. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying for the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tashish to flee from the Lord. So, so there, there's a few things that I want to point out here, and, the, and those are some of the areas in, uh, in, in, in bold. Verse 3 says, Jonah ran away from the Lord. Jonah, the prophet of the Lord, who was like the one guy who probably knew God best in the nation, ran away from the Lord. He went aboard and sailed for Tashish to flee from the Lord. Now, we're looking at this in hindsight, and we're thinking that's dumb. But to Jonah, what it reveals to us first and foremost is that Jonah had limited revelation of God. He had positioned himself and accepted the call to serve God, but he had limited revelation of who God was. Because you see, to Jonah, and this was indicative of the times, by the way, that gods were territorial gods. There was, there was a god of this, of this nation, and, 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 and he had boundaries and borderlines. And if you crossed over from this one to this one, you crossed over into another dominion, into the, into the jurisdiction of a different god. And that was the prevailing worldview then, and even the prophets, some of them, carried that worldview. So Jonah, Jonah runs away because in his mind, if I leave Israel, then I don't have to obey because I've left your jurisdiction. I'm going to go over here, and this God, he doesn't even know me. So fly under the radar here. I'll be fine. But what God had to show Jonah was that, Jonah, I'm not, I'm not bound by territory. I'm not bound by human logic. I'm, I'm beyond the territories that you've set for me. Not only that, I have control even of the elements. If you get on a ship, I'm going to cause a storm to upset that ship if you, until you jump out of that ship, and then I'll tell the tempest to abide. And then I can speak to fish if I want to, to swallow you up for as long as I want to. And then I'll tell it to spit you up where I want to. There's something that God wants Jonah to realize. Here's what I want to point out to you. The revelation of God, from Jonah's perspective, the revelation of God grew as he went. He didn't sit and, or, or, or rather God didn't find somebody who had a perfect revelation of, of, of God. He, he found somebody who had said, Sure, use me. I'm willing. 
Not that I'm qualified. Not that I know it all. Not that I feel confident. Not that I think I'm better than everybody else. But if you're calling me to be the prophet and you're telling me what to do, I'll just say, I'll just repeat after you. Jonah's obedience was still under question. So Jonah grows as he goes, but God labors with him to grow him in revelation. Don't wait, saints, for the day when you feel qualified to do the things that God is calling you to do. Because then it's your glory. And then you've received your rewards. See, when it's your glory... When we look and we say, yeah, because he's, he's awesome. Those are your rewards. That's it. When God gives you the glory, those rewards are eternal. So don't wait for the day that you feel qualified. Don't wait for the day when you've memorized the entire Bible to preach the gospel. Don't wait for the day when you've finished all your qualifications to step into your place of purpose. Don't wait for the day when somebody has recognized you to, 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 to give expression to your giftings. As you go, God will grow you. And so the question for me is, becomes then why? Why did Jonah run? He's been given a mandate, go and and prophesy over here, you are a prophet. That's kind of what you do. So why is he running? And there are three things that I want to point out. Why did Jonah run? The first thing, and it's on that next bit, the first thing is that he was concerned about his, his reputation. Here's why. Imagine some of you won't have to imagine because you actually are this. Imagine that you, you, you are a, uh, a, an investment banker or an asset manager. That, that's your space. That you, and, and you know that there is a, a political shift that's about to happen in the nation that's going to be such a positive impact on the nation. And, and you know that the areas that, that you're working with and the shares and all of that are going to skyrocket. And God says to you, I want you to go and to stand before your board and to tell them to sell everything now. Ah, but Lord, it's going to, let's not sell now, let's sell later. Later the prices are high. Now it's, Lord, I know, I know you don't understand this one completely because, you know, created everything, but, you know, spreadsheets are not, but, but we sell we sell high. Yeah? yeah, we sell high, right? Sell high, we buy low. And God is saying, no, 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 tell them to sell now. But God, there's going to be this political shift, and it's gonna, the economy is going to be amazing. And yeah, I know. Sell now. What happens if you obey? If you obey and the, the situation happens as you had anticipated. So you obey and you tell everybody, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sell now. Sell everything. And 
and, uh, and, and there's th this political situation changes, the economy is vibrant, and, and everything is booming. Everybody's looking at you going, and then? <laughs> Next time you want to share an opinion in a public platform, guys are going, <laughs> yeah, no, no. we're not. <laughs> Whatever he says, do, do the... To the <laughs> we want to hear from him. We want to hear from him because whatever he says, just do the opposite. You, you're losing your reputation. It affects your career progression. And so you're taking all of these things into consideration and you're going, I'm not going to do that. That's why Jonah ran. We'll, we'll, we'll read it a little bit later, but basically he says, Lord, I, I, I don't I didn't want to prophesy over these people because you told me to prophesy doom over these people, and I know that you're not going to destroy them. So you want me to tell them that you're going to destroy them, and then you're not going to destroy them. Lord, you know what's going to happen to me when I've prophesied that you're going to destroy them, and then you don't destroy them. It's the second thing. Because you see, in that day, if you were found to be a false prophet, they would stone you to death. And so he's thinking, man, I'm going to go and I'm going to prophesy over these guys. These guys are not nice people. I'm prophesying over them, doom. Then, God, you're not going to kill them like you told me you would. What's going to happen? They're going to turn around and kill me. The third thing, the third reason why Jonah ran is patriotism. See, Nineveh was, was, a, was part of the Assyrian nation, and the, and the Assyrians were, were, were prime enemies for Israel. And they're a big nation, they're a big city. And so it was to Israel's advantage that Nineveh is destroyed. So here, here is Jonah doing the calculations. I have insider information. Nineveh is about to be destroyed. The only way for them to not be destroyed is if they repent. The only way they will repent is if I prophesy destruction over them. So, if I go to Tarshish, and I'm just going to wait there until I get the news. Fire and brimstone, headlines. And then I can come back. And guess what? Israel is saved. But this is... Jonah's idea, Jonah's good idea, Jonah has decided that he's going to be in control because Jonah has decided that it is a good idea for him to remain unharmed. And Jonah has decided that there's a good idea for his career to remain in the same trajectory that it is going. And Jonah has decided that it is a good idea for Israel to be saved. Those, are, those sound like good things, but who decided? Jonah. So therefore, the standard of goodness was whose? Jonah's. And that's the trap that we fall into today. We're still setting the standard of goodness. That's why when we go through difficult times, it's easy for us to turn our backs on God. Because our standard has not been met. My standard, my personal standard, is that my reputation be intact and grow, my career grow, my body, I'm healthy, I'm doing good things. And that's, and that's my signal, my indicator of the fact that God is with me. If these things are not happening, God is not with me, and in fact, God is not good. God can't even exist. 
because I have decided that if he's good and he exists and he's in control, then these are the things, these are the ticks, the marks of blessing. But God is the one who dictates what is good. We don't decide what is good and then we take it to God and we say, bless it. We go to God and we say, tell us what is good. Define good and we will embrace it. And so, Lord, if good is that I suffer, if good is that it does not go well for me, if good is that I die in your name, then so be it. Though he slay me, yet will I love him. Three things that I want to point out as part of Jonah's journey. That God took him on a journey of, or let me put it this way, that it was the, 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 the milestones in Jonah's journey was Jonah's, Jonah's rebellion, Jonah's repentance, and Jonah's revelation. So those are, in essence, the three things that I actually want to leave you with. Jonah's rebellion, his repentance, and his revelation. And so if we look at uh, Samuel 15, this, this is uh, speaking to, to Saul, so not to... It's a different part of scripture. Uh, Samuel 15, 22, 23 says, Has the Lord uh, as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. These are the words of the Lord to Saul after he had rebelled. Now we know that part, that part, that first part well. You know, the Lord delights in, 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 in obedience rather than sacrifice. So I want, I want us to look at those two parts, that obedience and sacrifice, and how is rebellion witchcraft? So rebellion, which is what Jonah did, when he ran away from God, is understanding a mandate, receiving clear instruction, and then doing the opposite, right? That makes sense. Rebellion. So Jonah, Jonah rebelled. God says, I prefer that you obey rather than that you rebel. In fact, then he goes on to say, in fact, I prefer that you obey rather than that you offer me sacrifices. See, in the Old Testament, sacrifices were offered to cover sin and rebellion, to ask for forgiveness. And so I have sinned, and then I, I go and I ask for forgiveness, and, and, and I, offer, I offer sacrifices. God is saying that sacrifice will, to a certain extent, atone for your rebellion or for your sin. But obedience will help to prevent the sin altogether. 
So don't rely on the fact that you can offer sacrifices. Go for first prize, which is obedience. Because by obedience, you can circumvent the entire sin and all its destructive outworkings. Sin doesn't just have a destructive outworking to me, but to everybody around me. So God is saying, I prefer obedience to sacrifice. Then he says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So when we rebel, when I rebel, there's a difference, by the way, from I have, I, have, I, 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 was, going, I was going along, I was deceived into sin, and I sinned, and then my eyes were opened, and at the point of realization, I repented. That's not rebellion. That's deception. Rebellion is my eyes were opened and I realized that I'm in sin and I'm walking uh, in displeasure towards God and I continued in that fashion. Or I received a certain instruction that was clear to me and I decided to do the opposite. That's rebellion. And, And God is saying here that when you rebel, you remove yourself from being led by his spirit of righteousness and you place yourself under the leadership of a different spirit, what is witchcraft if not submission to another spirit? God is saying by rebelling, by removing yourself out of my authority, by by removing yourself from the leadership of my spirit, you're placing yourself under the leadership of a different spirit, under a satanic spirit, witchcraft. So rebellion and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry, stubbornness, right? So, so you've been found out and you're in sin and God has corrected you, but you haven't received that correction. You've re- in fact, you've refused to receive that correction, that stubbornness. And he says it's, it's like idolatry. Because when, when, when in idolatry, I offer myself in submission and in service to, to another. In stubbornness, in choosing to remain in this position of rebellion, I offer myself in submission and servitude to the Spirit. So Jonah's rebellion was a big deal to God. And your rebellion to God is a big deal to Him. You choosing your own way because you don't trust him, because you trust yourself more, is a big deal to God. And he wants to fix that. And he'll take you on a journey if he has to. And he'll put you inside a fish if he has to. And it won't be comfortable. won't smell very good. But if we go to the next slide, it'll get you praying. Jonah prays, and, and he prays a long thing, so I just, this, this is just uh, verse 1 and verse 7. He says, from inside the fist, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called. Must have smelled like the realm of the dead in there. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. When my life, that's verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. How many of us have that kind of a prayer life where we're going, man, 
the, the, the times when I'm really inspired to pray and I'm crying out to God is when I feel like my life is at the point of ebbing away from me and I'm in, I'm in, the, in, in, in the depths of darkness and it is then that I cry out to God. If that's habit for you, it's an indicator of something. It's an indicator of the fact that you don't live in a place of intimacy with God. That's what it's trying to show you. If you're consistently in the belly of the fish, you're not in intimacy with God. You are trying to maintain control over your own life. And when Jonah came to this point of realization, God commanded the fish to spit him out. And this is the third thing, revelation. Um, that when, when, when the fish had spat him out, he, he, he goes and he cries out to the city. And he tells them how long it's going to be before the, 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 the destruction comes. And, and when they hear this, man, they repent and they, 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 they declare a, a national fast and they put on sackcloth. And, and, and God sees their repentance and he holds back his anger. The fact that God holds back his anger, angers Jonah. And he says, you see, this is why, this is why I didn't want to do this in the first place. If you say you're going to destroy somebody, destroy them. And he goes and he sits on the outskirts of the town and he sulks and he sits there and he's waiting. Now, I'm waiting to see what you're going to do. I'm waiting. And what God does is he, it says he allows a plant to grow and to become a shade for Jonah. And he gives him shade and he gives him respite. And so Jonah is so, he's so grateful for the shade because the sun was beating down on him. And then the, and then the Lord prepares a worm to go and to, and to eat the plant. And the plant dies as quickly as it grew. And, and Jonah's properly upset now. This is where God shows up. He says, uh, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Listen to his response. It is. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. (laughs) But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? Jonah, you've shown such concern for a plant that you had nothing to do with. How is it that you could not translate that level of concern Toward and compassion towards a city of 120,000 people and their animals. That's for all the animal lovers, by the way. God cares about the animals. Here's another thing that God is pointing out to him. Jonah, I made the, the plant grow. I prepared the worm. I killed the plant. You had nothing to do with anything. If I want you to go and prophesy over those people and then I don't kill them, That's my prerogative. Because I'm God, you don't get to have a say. The entirety of the story, if if Jonah's sitting there reflecting, he's going to recognize, hang on, I actually don't have a say. God is God, and he will do what he will do. 
I have to go to him to understand what is his measure and what is his standard of goodness, and then I just receive that. Not debate with him about it. I receive it, and then I live it out. Because when I try to do other things, I fall into a sense of pseudo, a pseudo sense of control. Webster, pseudo, pseudo is like when... Um, You are not in control, so stop trying to be. Maybe that's what I should have said and then just like sat down. You're not in control. God is in control, and that's okay. That's actually the good news. The fact that God is in control is actually the good news. So what do we do when we find that, man, I'm facing this giant of control? Control is an idol in my life. The antidote to control is surrender. What you do is you surrender. You hand over control. I was thinking about this issue of surrender, and, uh, and uh, we, we have an idea. We have an idea about what surrender looks like. And so, and so if, I, if I said to you, if I said to you, show me an action, a physical action that symbolizes surrender, what would that typically, typically look like? I see, yeah, Lindsay's doing this, yeah. Sometimes I think of like lying down and those are the kind of actions we think about uh, when we're thinking about surrender. Uh, and, 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 that, and that is because when we're thinking about surrender, we're thinking about subservience or submission. Uh, but I, I, I don't know if that's, what, if that's what God is aiming for when he's talking about surrender. I think uh, that surrender is so much more powerful. I think that with surrender... There is a call to, to lay down what you think, to lay down what you're carrying, to lay down what you feel, to lay down what you've experienced, because there's something better. So I think surrender, when God tells you to surrender, he's saying, uh, uh, your hands are full. Your hands are full. There's something that I want to give you, but I can't because your hands are full. Put that stuff down because it's nonsense. It's rubbish. It doesn't serve you. It won't last. It won't do anything for you. I have something better. And when you put your ashes down, he puts beauty in your hands. When you put your perishable down, he gives you imperishable. When you put your works down, he, put, he gives you salvation. And so, and so there's always something. There's always a blessing that God is wanting to put into your hands, but he's saying, put, put, put that nonsense down. And we all have nonsense, and you, you'll know what your nonsense is. And God is calling you to put that down. There's something so much better. And, and some of our nonsense f- feels very real, because, and it is real, because it's pain. Some of, our, some of our nonsense is based on stuff that we've been through, ways in which we've been hurt and rejected, and, and people have treated us, and, and so we've learned survival mechanisms and all of that. And God is saying, that is painful, and that is real, Put it down. Put it down. The pain, the rejection, the hurt, the anger, the insecurity, the the self-doubt. Put it down. Because there's something else that I have for you that is so much better. Can we stand to our feet?
I believe that God is in the business of slaying giants and that he's slaying the giant of control this afternoon and that there are giants that have fallen and if those giants have fallen, then, then, then you need to give them glory. But I, 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 believe, that there's, um, I believe that there's something else that the, 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 that the Lord is, is doing in this moment and uh, and that's more an invitation. So so I want to be obedient and be an extension of what God is doing. So God God is inviting you, and maybe God has been speaking to you throughout the week or weekend, maybe throughout the worship today or the sermon that you've just been feeling like God has been has been really tugging at your heart, and you know that He's doing something because you know that. Uh, that, that you don't have relationship with him. So we're talking about, about control, but you, you know that you are one or two steps back. You have not yet surrendered your life to him. This is an opportunity for you to do just that. Just with every other giant, we have to face this and take it head on. And so I want to extend that invitation to you. If you know that you need to surrender your life to Jesus. I want to be clear. I'm not talking about if you feel that you haven't prayed in a while uh, or, or, or you feel like you've just been a little bit distant or, or there's some, you know, you're in relationship with God, but you maybe there's some sin. That, that's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about you have not surrendered your life. to Your life is not under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A good test for that is if I asked you, if you were to die today, where would you spend your eternity? I want you to be able to answer me confidently that you would spend your eternity in heaven. If you know that that doesn't apply to you or you're just like, I don't know, then I'm talking to you. And so if that's you, can you just please give me an indication because I want to pray for you. Please raise your hand. You're saying, I know I need to surrender my life to Jesus. And I'm going to do it today. Please raise your hands. Thank you, Lord. If you're raising your hands, please raise them on high. Please raise them on high. Don't be ashamed. Don't be shy. I don't want to get you mistaken. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that hand. Is there anybody else who's saying, I want to surrender my life to Jesus today? And you're willing to raise your hand to do so. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Here's what I want you to do. It's predictable. We do this all the time. It's not, we're not trying to trick you. If you've got your hands raised, I want you to grab your, your, your belongings, your Bible, your bag, whatever you've got, and come up to the front. I want to pray for you. Give us an opportunity to celebrate with you, but we also just want to pray with you. So if you had your hands raised, please come to the front right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We can celebrate better than that, I think. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. We're going to pray together. If you're still fighting that feeling and you know, man, I need to be here, feel free to join us. The gates are always open. We're not going to judge you. In fact, we'll be busy praying, so we might not even notice you. 
But we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to stand together in prayer. And so I want you, I want you, to, I want you to pray with me, but we're going to pray together because this is a family moment. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you for your salvation. I recognize that you have saved me. I confess that you are the Son of God and that through you is salvation. Today, I surrender my life. I lay my heart down before you and I invite you to be in control. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you, Father. Never the same again. Father, we're praying never the same again in Jesus' name. We're praying, Father, that the seed of salvation would be set in, in, in fertile soil, that the enemy would not steal the work that you are doing here this afternoon, that this is an eternal work in Jesus' name, never looking back. The son of yours is never going to look back. He's going to run hard for your kingdom. We declare that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you, Father.